0: Thanks for checking out the second season of Crime Beat. I need to take a minute here to thank our sponsor, the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. I've seen shows there several times, and it's a great night out. This season is no exception. They have a new play, Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical. There will be more details and a discount code later in this episode. So thank you to the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts, and here's Crime Beat. Some of the descriptions details, and language in this podcast may not be suitable for all audiences. She looked drunk, but Kathy Torres was too savvy for that. She wouldn't allow herself to come home sloppy. Somehow she drove herself home in that condition.
1: I had never
0: seen Kathy come home in that state. Right. Never like that. And, and she
1: wasn't. Her brother drinking, had to carry her. Had to help her in, yes. It, her breath did not smell of alcohol. Right. And, and, and so I, didn't, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what. Right. And, and she drove. And she drove. She got herself home somehow. That's home, amazing. And with the two tires slashed on the oh, like, passenger side.
0: Mary watched Kathy stagger into the bathroom. She noticed Kathy was wearing jeans. But her panties were gone.
1: When she went to the bathroom, and I went in to go check on her because she wouldn't come out, then that's when I noticed okay. that she, that, you know, that they were missing. But because uh, she kept saying she didn't remember, she didn't and she was remember. trying hard to remember, and she, it bothered her, but. Then, like Kathy, she would just, you know, like... She it off and... and yeah, but, him, but then I know... Like,
0: I'll be okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like, she'll be okay. And she was trying to figure things out, and she tried to piece things together, and she would tell us the parts that she would remember. And then we would tell her, but it doesn't make sense. You know, your timeline of what you're telling us. And she goes, I know. So she was trying to remember what happened in between. Mm-hmm. And that bothered her, but... Where had she gone that night? She had gone to... Well, what we found out mm-hmm. afterwards was she had been to different places with him. Yeah. They he was driving her around. Yeah, they had gone to some like convenience store, like Martin liquor store, right, yeah. at one point. Then they ended up at the Arboretum. Yeah. And then from... But that was before. Then they had gone to Norwalk Records. And some place in there he had given her... And somewhere pie. she said she kept remembering she saw a house, that they went to a house where there was a lot of people. Oh. And I kept saying, who, what yeah. people? And she kept saying people Sam knew yeah. okay. and, and I said well you've got to remember whose house it was or where you were at and she kept saying I can't remember Tina it's just it was that there was people there at the house and I said who Sam's friends that's all she kept saying Sam's friends and, it and was does really, she remember a drink um nobody they had drinks right she we had a, given a, her a, a Zima but it was open it was open yeah right. was open. that's all she could remember that's all she could remember
0: I'm Keith Sharon, a reporter with the Southern California News Group. In 1994, Kathy Torres, a student at Cal State Fullerton, never came home after working a Saturday night shift in the photo department at Savon. In this podcast, I'm going to look at just how cold a case can get. I'm going to tell you about Mary Bennett, her family, Darren Wyatt, and their extraordinary two-plus-decade pursuit of justice. This is Crime Beat, Season 2, Episode 3, Kathy Can't Remember. I did a lot of reporting about this potential drugging incident from February 5th, 1994. I kept coming back to one of the letters Kathy had written Sam. Kathy wrote, I never thought we would be chilling like we are now, acting like humans to each other. See, everything's okay until you try to get tricky with me. You know, I was really scared that night you got crazy with me at Jack in the Box. I tried not to show it and do something that would hurt you, and the only thing I could do was take your pager. A lot of good that did. But anyways, please don't ever do that again, because I don't like that. End quote. The words ever and I don't like that are underlined. And Kathy made a copy of that letter and kept it in her room. Remember... This was 1994. Kathy didn't have a printer in her room. Making a copy was a significant thing. She had to go to Kinko's or Savon or her professor's office at Cal State Fullerton. At first, I thought Sam might have hit her at Jack in the Box. But when I read it again, could he have been talking about him drugging her? Could they have parked at Jack in the Box and Sam brought her something to drink? She mentions that Sam got tricky And she was really scared. What if this was his attempt at date rape? And what did Kathy do? She took his pager. How could that hurt him? I'll tell you how. Sam's pager was his connection to his father. If he didn't have his pager and his father was trying to get a hold of him, he would be in big trouble. Sam was deathly afraid of his father, and Kathy may have been trying to get him in trouble. She asked him not to ever do that again. Ever was capitalized. Sam may not have listened. Sam may have tried to get tricky with her again on February 5th.
1: I believe he drugged her and I believe that he slashed
0: the tires on her car. I asked Mary if she believes Kathy was raped. She said she doesn't know. Think about this from Mary's point of view. The concept of date rape wasn't really well known in popular culture. Of course, men had been using Mickey fins or Spanish flies or knockout drops to incapacitate women for decades. Bill Cosby's first accuser said he slipped her a Mickey in the 1960s. But those stories weren't talked about in popular culture. The Long Beach band Sublime had a minor hit with a song called Date Rape in 1992. In 1996, Newsweek magazine published a story called Roofie's The Date Rape Drug. That article called Roofies the newest worry among law enforcement officers. That was four years after Sam brought Kathy a Zima in the parking lot at Cal State Fullerton. In the 1990s Zima was a clear alcoholic drink kinda like an alternative to beer. I'd tell you what it tastes like but I have never in my life tried a Zima. In 2008 Miller Coors LLC discontinued making Zima in the United States. This is Kathy's brother, Marty, talking about the possibility that Sam slipped his sister a drug.
2: That wasn't even like a known thing back then, as far as I can remember. Back then, it wasn't like a a thing of like, hey, people do this to other
3: people.
0: Here's another important thing you need to know about the Torres family in 1994. Mary and Kathy were not going to let an incident like this derail them. The next morning, Mary went on a planned trip to Arizona. Kathy got up and went to work at Savon. Kathy's sister Tina asked her husband Armando to pay for the tires on the Burgundy Toyota. Bottom line, Mary didn't call the police. I looked at the relationship between the Torres family and the Placentia Police Department. Kathy was well known to the Placentia Police for all the right reasons. While she was at Cal State Fullerton, Kathy wrote a report on street gangs, and she had contacted Placentia Police specifically officer John Armstrong to help her with her research. Armstrong became close with Kathy and Mary and the rest of the Torres family. It's just an important detail to know. When Kathy disappeared, Armstrong played a key role. So let's slow down for a couple of minutes. We're gonna look at Kathy and Sam's movements on the night of February 5th, 1994. Here are two questions I have after studying that night. Could he have drugged her, slashed her tires, and put her in a car to drive home in really unsafe conditions? Or could he have had an accomplice do it? I'll get into the details of the accomplice theory in a later episode. If Sam did slash Kathy's tires on that February night in 1994, it proves one thing. He or his accomplice or someone had a really sharp object, something sharp enough to cut chunks out of car tires. All these years later, I wonder what would have happened if Mary Bennett had called the police that night. There were two hugely important details Mary didn't know about. First, the police were already involved. They had cited Sam twice that night already. The second detail was that Sam had discovered a hickey on Kathy's upper chest. The hickey had been put there by Albert Wrangle. That may have been the trigger for many events to come. Let's listen to what Sam had to say about February 5, 1994. We know now that he was supposed to be taking Kathy out that night to get a music cassette. Kind of a semi-date. They would drive and talk and have a few drinks in the car. They got together between 5 and 6 p.m. that night. Kathy had just got off work at Savon, and they met at Video Max, which was a popular hangout in Placentia on Bradford Avenue. This is Sam talking with police officers Gary LeGalbo and Bob Jenkins. Notice that in this version, Sam doesn't mention that he took Kathy to a house full of his friends.
2: I drove off my car there. She picked me up, and then we took off to Norwalk. No, 8 p.m. to uh, put some gas with some gas. We went to um, Norwalk. We were up there for a while. We came back. And okay. hey what, what did you do in Norwalk? We went to that record place. That No uh Norwalk Records. it's like a it's just like a DJ store.
3: Okay. Was, I, I,
2: I played, was that something you planned or did she want to go there or what? No, because she she wanted to buy a tape. Some Oh I forgot what kind of tape it was but I know she said she wanted to buy a tape. Okay. So I go, you know what? I know this really good store. Because I've always, I've always gone there, you know, and she said, okay, let's go. So we went, we, sh- we looked around, we didn't find whatever we were looking for. We took off again, we headed back, stopped at the store. Okay, I bought the zema's.
0: Kathy later told her mother that Sam returned to the car with an open bottle of Zima and he handed it to her. Kathy said she knew a place they could go drink their Zima, at Cal State Fullerton, behind the baseball field next to the Arboretum. The parking lot was crowded that Saturday night. Sam said Kathy drank two Zimas quickly. He took the empty bottles from her. Then Sam opened the driver's side door and put the bottles on the ground. That's when a campus police officer surprised him.
2: I did not see the police officer. Okay, I did not see him. I opened the door, put two bottles outside, or three or something like that. Pop pulled up. I go, great, you know, dump Okay. And he tells me, you know, this is not about littering. And I go, oh. So I picked him up, and he saw the open bottle. I had an open bottle on me, so obviously he was going to see it. Mm-hmm. And he just, um, he cited me for an open
0: container. The officer cited Kathy for underage drinking. The time on the ticket was 7 p.m. Mary didn't find that ticket until after Kathy was dead. To me, the problem with this incident... Was that the campus cop let Sam Lopez drive away with an underage girl who'd obviously been drinking? Sam said he drove out of the parking lot and went straight to an industrial area of Placentia where they could have some privacy. He said he didn't stop at any friends' houses along the way. Sam said he parked at the corner of Orangethorpe and Melrose at a spot that couldn't be seen from the street.
2: There we started kissing and hugging. Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, no, I just no, 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 just, you know, just thinking out. You know, we both had a couple of Zemas, so we were, it was catching up, you know. And, and the thing that I could not explain to myself is why was she feeling so lightheaded? Because she got home in a condition that you don't get lightheaded like that from Zima. You know, she was really buzzing. And I don't even know how she made it home driving like that.
0: Sam did have a theory about how Kathy could get so high on only two Zemas. Here's Sam talking in another police interview.
2: And I did not know that she had been taking to Advil. Okay, okay, she took Advil. Uh, Supposedly, this is a mom said, she took Advil, and she took some more Advil right before she saw it. Okay, Advil, and oh,
3: they could her to not
0: it out. Just before 9.30, Sam decided to take his buzzing girlfriend back to her car. But before he could get more than a quarter mile down Melrose Avenue, he got pulled over again. He had failed to stop behind the crosswalk at Crowther Avenue. He was cited by Officer Eric Hanberg, who noticed that Kathy had been crying. So if you believe Sam's story, Kathy had gone from making out with him to crying in the span of just a couple of hours. That may be a very important detail, we just don't know. Again, Sam was allowed to drive off with Kathy in the car. They had received a total of three tickets between them between 7 and 9.30 p.m. Sam drove Kathy back to Videomax, where his car was waiting. The important thing to note here is that Sam was driving Kathy's car. Sometime between him getting out of the car and Kathy driving home, her tires got slashed. Here's the special Matilda discount. Buy one Matilda ticket, get one free. Enter promo code HONEYBOGO, H-O-N-E-Y-B-O-G-O. You must enter the code before selecting your seats.
3: Don't miss the Tony Award-winning musical Matilda. Packed with high-energy dance numbers, catchy songs, and a gifted young actress. Matilda, October 25th through November 17th. Tickets at Theater.com.
0: There's little doubt in Mary Bennett's mind who slashed Kathy's tires at Video Max. One more detail about what Sam told police. He said that he and Kathy had talked about Albert Wrangle. He told them he had discovered the hickey and that Albert had put it there. The hickey was not on her neck. It was on her clavicle, just below her neckline. This next part is a collection of things that Sam told the police in his subsequent interviews.
2: See this wouldn't understand. If she if her mom said that that they were never technically going out, okay? And I don't Albert, Okay. Okay, they were just sort of going out, playing you know, go to a movie type. Just like me and exactly. Like me, okay? But she was thinking that in other words to give me jealous or something like that. Okay. What what kind of things would she say to try and you know? She will mention his name and she, she knows that looky look every time she mentions some guy's name I get pissed off, okay? okay. I can understand that. That's you know, okay. Because you know I mean not not for the fact that, she, that 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 she's with this guy, you know, because she's with me at the time and I really don't want nobody talking. I mean her talking about any any other guy. Okay. You know, I can understand that. I and, and, that. and um, she just mentioned him his name a couple yeah. of times and uh that's it. As far as I know, she just started seeing this other guy. Albert. Albert. When was the first time that Kathy that ever mentioned Albert to you or that you ever heard about Albert? I was in Savant's. Mm-hmm. Okay. She mentioned him like at least two, three weeks before Valentine's. Two or three weeks. When? what did she say? She said, maybe this time I'll get a real, a real Valentine's present. And, that and what did you say when she made that statement to you? And I turned around and I looked at her and... <sighs> I remember what I said. Well, I mean, it sounds I mean, to me like that'd be something that'd be like... That'd <laughs> kind of you piss know, you off I, a little I bit. Know, I know she said she said she was going to get a real van test Did that upset you? Um, it, it didn't, it didn't, you know, but... Because, you see, you see, I didn't really... I liked her and everything, okay, but... It wasn't to the point where, damn, you know, you know, who you're with or whatever, you know? Did no. yeah. she ever tell you she liked him? No, but... No, no, how, how, could that, how could that make you jealous, then, I mean, if she never did anything okay, like okay, that? Okay, I, I can answer that. She comes she comes back with the hickey. On her neck? On her right here, covering it her with her bra. You mean way down here on her shoulder? Right here, right here. She was not so like she would have had to have pulled her shirt out to get to it. No, to no, recommend. she used to wear them loose shirts, you know, the ones like... Oh no 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 or something. No shoulder yeah. On it. yeah, because I, I've seen her and I know that was a hickey and I didn't want to hit her up. I like tell her hey who are you went last night, So she thing. said she said I went to the movies with a friend. Okay, okay I don't know if she could if she if that's the way she she looks at her friends, but you know, I mean that to me that wasn't no friend.
0: The next morning after the Zimas, the citations, the tire slashing, the potential rape Kathy got up and went to work at Savon. That's the way the Torres family rolled. You don't skip out on your responsibilities. It was Sunday, February 6th. On that Sunday, Albert Rangel appeared to be on top of the world. He had just bought a used Honda Prelude with a new stereo system. He talked to his father about helping him install the stereo system on the following Tuesday. He was living at his mother's house in Orange, And for the first time in his life, he had his own room and a new television. Lori Fitzgerald is Albert's mother. She remembers a time when Albert showed his true character when he got in a car accident just after he moved in with her.
1: He backed into a car across the street. He went over there. This is what a good guy he is. He went over there and he told him, I'm so sorry, I backed into your car. Okay, so him with his own money... He saved. He paid them for the damage that he did to their car. That's what a good, honest kid he was.
0: Albert had a good job at a computer salvaging company. He would take apart old computers so the parts could be resold. The best thing that was happening in his life was his new girlfriend. Albert and Kathy made plans to go to the movies on February 7, 1994. That was a Monday night. At the time, the number one box office movie in America was Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Then, on Wednesday, he was going to come over to her house for dinner. Here's Albert's sister, Marie Gonzalez, talking about her brother and Kathy.
2: Um, Albert was like shy, quiet. But very outgoing. He was just a special person. That um, he, growing up, he was always, always my shoulder to cry on or talk to. And he always just listened to what I had to say and was always there and kind of p- pat me on my back and just everything's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. We
0: were he and Kathy good together.
2: Yes, they they were um, funny. Um, they were laughing funny together and uh, they were like, they were friends on top of their relationship.
0: Just after midnight on February 7th, 1994, Kathy called Albert. They talked long into the morning. It would be the last conversation they ever had. I wonder if Kathy was honest with him. Did she tell Albert that Sam had slipped her a drug and slashed her tires? Did she tell Albert that Sam had spotted the hickey on her neck? Did she tell him to watch out for her jealous ex-boyfriend? And did Albert tell Kathy how all that made him feel? Did he tell her about his difficult childhood? About moving in with his birth mother in orange after not knowing her for most of his life? They probably talked about Albert's car. He had to borrow money from his boss to buy the Honda Prelude. They could have talked about his new TV, which he bought with his own money. They talked until about 3 a.m., He had to get to work by 7. Could he have said something to help her? Could she have said something to help him? It's been more than 25 years since that phone conversation. There are no letters written to help us figure out what happened. I can only guess about the depth of their relationship and how neither of them could handle what was about to happen to them. On that Monday morning, Albert went to work at the Electronics Salvage Company. It was owned by a guy named Jim, his mother's friend. Jim didn't want his last name used in this podcast. It was his company's first day in a new home, a warehouse just off Catella Avenue in Orange. When Albert got to work, he made a list of all the things they needed in the new warehouse. This is Jim talking about that Monday morning. He and Albert were the only people in the warehouse.
3: He made a list because, again, that's the expansion of the business. And he was very adamant about getting cell phones so that um, I would be you know, out of the office quite a bit looking at new jobs, making estimates and, and things like that to uh, better communicate with me. He wanted uh, us to have cell phones. Okay.
0: What was on the list of things that he wanted you to get?
3: Um, you know what? I don't, I don't really recall. It was just stuff around the office or the office, warehouse. It really was really like a warehouse type of deal hand tools and uh, things, but like, it was just miscellaneous stuff. It wasn't any real
0: big-ticket thing, except for the phones. Okay, so phones. I heard a broom might have been on the list, hey, we need to sweep up occasionally, or... Yeah.
3: Like paper yeah, towels? Yeah, a shop, shop bag, towels, um, just everything required to set up, you know, bath, toiletry stuff, to set up the bathroom, and, All right. and things like that.
0: And was it unusual that the employee would be asking the boss to go do this?
3: No, because of the relationship that we had in such, you know, a close-knit um, type of situation that, um, you know, he liked everything neat and clean there, and he just wanted, uh, you know, general stuff. So, no, I didn't think it was unusual.
0: So what time did you did you go uh, to take care of the list?
3: I believe it was in the morning. He kept... Um, on me about uh, the phone. The rest of it was minor stuff. The phones was an investment. Um, I'm not sure, I I thought it was in the morning, but I'm not crystal clear on it. It was very blurry after all this. He insisted, or he didn't insist, but he kept on me about, hey, did you get the phone? Did you make the appointment to get the phone? Uh, When are you getting the phone? and it was at that, that insistence that I said, you know what, I'm going to go take care of that right now.
0: It was about 1 o'clock when Jim left the warehouse to go to the phone store. Meanwhile, at a Carl's Jr. near Anaheim Stadium, Kathy and her friend Gabby were having lunch. Kathy was upset about her encounter with Sam on that Saturday night.
3: Well, she asked me if I knew of any type of drug that would make her blackout. And I told her no. I mean, I said, "Well, marijuana more than likely is going to make you, you know, get the munchies, or get the but it's not going to make you black out to the point where you're not going to know what right. happened to you." Um, I said, Steve, cocaine, those type of drugs, you know, they keep you awake. Maybe you'll get paranoid, but other than that, no, you're not going to black out." So you, you know, and then that
0: you hadn't heard of Rohypnol.
3: No.
0: The date rape drug? No. Because that's what it sounds like to me. During that lunchtime talk, Kathy told Gabby something that didn't seem like a big deal at the time. Kathy said that in her long conversation with Albert the night before, he had asked her to skip school that Monday. Kathy wasn't the kind of person to skip school. She said no. It was weird because Monday was Albert's first day working at the new warehouse. Why would he want her to skip out with him? It was about 1.30 when Jim got back to the warehouse after picking up the new phones. He had been gone for about 45 minutes. When he returned to the warehouse, he noticed that the roll-up door was shut, as if the place had been shut down for the day. He walked into the office and called Albert's name. Albert didn't answer. Next time on Crime Beat Season 2, Mom vs. Murderer. What happened to Albert. Kathy's distraught, and Sam gets an idea. Maybe, he thought, they could spend their future together. Kathy seriously considered his proposal and decided to give him an answer that following Saturday night, the night she disappeared. Crime Beat, Season 2, was produced by the Southern California News Group. The executive editor was Frank Pine. The senior editor was Todd Harmanson. Audio editing, mixing, and music by Kevin Sablon. Field recording and videos by Jeff Gritchen, Graphics by Kurt Snibby And I want to give special thanks to podcasters who inspired this work. Amy Wilson and Amber Hunt on Accused. Sarah Koenig on Serial. Brian Reed on S-Town. Chris Gofford on Dirty John. Madeline Barron on In the Dark. Nate DeMeo on The Memory Palace. And Phoebe Judge on Criminal. The best way you can support this podcast is to give us high ratings write great reviews, and tell your friends to check out our work. Also, you can listen to Crime Beat Season 1, Stealing Nixon's Millions. That story was the inspiration behind the 2019 movie Finding Steve McQueen, starring Forrest Whitaker, Travis Fimmel, Rachel Taylor, and William Fickner. Thanks for listening. Thank you again to our new sponsor, the La Theatre for the Performing Arts. Remember, when you buy one Matilda ticket... You get one free by using promo code HONEYBOGO, H-O-N-E-Y,
3: B-O-G-O. You must enter the code before selecting your seats.